Good morning and welcome to the Environmental Echo Podcast. I am Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PW Grocer Consulting and your host today. Uh, we've got a really exciting topic, at least in my mind. You know, We'll see what our listeners have to, have to say about this or think about it. But uh, it's going to be we're covering dewatering. You know, what does that mean? Where is it applied? How does it fit into the environment? And uh, you know, what's it used for? What are the, some of the regulatory issues we have to address when we do these things for uh, deep construction projects that may uh, go below the water table? We've got two great guests today as well. We've got Kyle Allen, a project manager uh, with Chesterfield Associates out in West Hampton Beach. They're a marine construction and engineering company. They were founded in 1968. Uh, they also have a base of operations in Westport Island, Maine, which to me, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, Kyle, you've been with Chesterfield for five years, and you're also a resident of West Hampton Beach. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Also joining us, we've got a, a repeat offender here today. We've got Regina Bykoff from our office. She's a senior project manager at PWGC, and you know, it would take me all morning to go through her areas of expertise, but certainly dewatering is one of them. She's involved in multiple water-related engineering disciplines, including, uh, I've just said, the dewatering, but um, the mining operations and it, we can go on and on with this site stuff and you know it, it's been a pleasure working with you for the last oh my gosh what's it been probably 13 almost years 20 years almost 20 <laughs> has it been that long it has <laughs> time has flown well regina welcome back all right so with that let's uh we're going to get right into our topic of construction dewatering um so kyle regina you know i, I mean i touched on it briefly in the introduction you know a little bit about what it is, but if you guys can dive a little more deeply into, you know, what is, what is it? When do we need it? Why do we need it? You know, just let me know. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Um, well, yeah, it, dewatering is essentially just dropping whatever water level you're working with, whether it be groundwater or water in, um, in like a pond or, or any type of water like that, where you'll put it in a coffer dam and, and dewater for uh, construction operations within that area. Um, one that we're working on recently or in in the middle of working on now is to drop the groundwater in an area of excavation so someone can have a, a larger basement and an entertainment center. So dropping the water table, dropping the water levels. Regina, what are your thoughts on what dewatering is, what it means, why is it important? It's um, essentially just taking water out of the ground and moving it somewhere else so that you can lower the water table and facilitate construction. Right. I mean, uh, we've worked at PW Grocer and obviously work with Chesterfield on numerous projects. Uh, you just described one that we're doing out on the east end of the island. It's for a, a large residential construction. Uh, the homeowner wants a basement. They're, they're building close to the, the shoreline down on the south shore of the island. Uh, what we have is, we call it a shallow water table, right? It's only a couple feet down until you hit water. And, and when these folks want to build something like this, you know, we've got to physically remove that water to keep the, the work site dry. So once it gets dry, you know, then what do you do? What's, what's going on once we've dug out this hole, we've got the water out of the hole, what do you do then? How, how do you keep it dry? Uh, consistent pumping, you know, and management of that dewatering system. Um, so we'll, I guess just to get into it, what we do is, is drive steel sheeting more often than not in the area of the excavation where they want to do their work. So um, depending on where the water table is or how deep it is, um, you determine how long your steel sheeting is going to be. You drive them all in that perimeter and then you'll set up 
essentially a bunch of straws, which we call well points, and then put them to a header that goes along the top of the steel sheeting as your plumbing. And then we'll use uh, a large eight inch well point pump, diesel powered, to suck all that water out. And then depending on what the system is, um, what the site is going to give us, you know, we determine how we're going to get rid of that water, whether it be a large recharge basin or a, a filtration system set up with a bunch of different diffusion wells where we'll actually pump it back down into the aquifer. So we'll consistently be pumping that water for the duration of the construction to go on within that excavation area, um, which kind of goes outside of our realm. We can drive piles in there, which is, is part of our expertise. Um, once that's done, then they can come up and start with their foundation work, bring in concrete. And once they waterproof, then we're able to shut off the system, let the water table come up, and then uh, we'll either remove the steel if possible, or in some cases we can just abandon it in place and cut it below grade. Yeah. Wow. So Regina, this you know this is that's the construction side. You know, you and I get involved on the design side. You know, tell them how deep to drive the sheeting, how much water they've got to pump. Can you? Describe a little bit about the design process, you know, what's involved and how do you figure out how much water I have to pull out of the ground to keep this area dry while they're, you know, they need to lower, say, the water table three, four, five feet in some instances or even more over a large area. What's involved? Um, I, I think the first thing that we're looking for is the groundwater level. So a lot of times a contractor will have dropped a well or will propose to drop a well, put a data logger in there and monitor the groundwater level. The longer period, the better. Um, <clears throat> once that's done, we can download that data and take a look at it. And usually we take the, um, the highest groundwater level, worst case scenario. And that's what we use as a groundwater level or the level of the water that we need to um, drop down to a certain amount of feet. Um, and that's based on the design, basement design or tank design or whatever construction that you're doing. Um, and generally we like to make sure that that groundwater is dewatered about a foot or two below the bottom of the excavation. Um, so once we determine that, we can either use hand calculations um, or groundwater modeling to input some parameters, groundwater level, hydraulic uh, conductivity, Porosity, a so whole key properties of the of, soil that we're exactly, trying to dewater, huh? Exactly. Um, and when that all gets plugged in, we run our calculations and we can determine the amount of water that we need to pull out of the ground. Um, one of the things that helps is uh, installing piles and they act as almost a cutoff wall. And they so the really, sheeting that Kyle was talking yes, about. Yeah, yep. Steel <clears throat> sheeting. Um, we can drive them down 20, 30, 40 feet. The deeper you drive them, the less water is going to come back into the excavation. And the easier it is, is to, the easier it will become to keep that water level down once you start dewatering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. That's interesting. You know, people may not understand that. The deeper we drive our, our cutoff walls, the less water we have to pump to yes. keep it dry. <laughs> yep. But from a construction standpoint, you know, you guys couldn't drive. You know, I mean, maybe you could, but a hundred foot sheeting would be uh, either physically impractical or cost prohibitive. You know, so there are limitations. Correct. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think we have 40 foot sheets in the ground for the project that we're working on now, but the project that we worked on prior um, in the same area, I mean, it was probably two years ago that we yeah. worked with the guys on, we only used 20 foot sheets. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, 
of course, depending on where that site is, <clears throat> what the groundwater is doing, how far we are from the shoreline, you know, all, all is determined on that. I mean, um, so what, what do you think the limitations are? You know, how, how deep could we drive sheeting if, if, you know, we didn't have limitations on it, you know, how long it is to drag it down the road to get it to somebody's, you know, site? Yeah, well, um, it could be pretty, pretty long. I mean, the logistics of getting it there would probably be the most difficult thing. That's that'd be the, uh, but we have the ability to drive a 60 foot sheet, a 65 foot sheet if necessary. Keep that in mind, Regina. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) Because as you guys have pointed out, you know, once we take the water out of the ground, right, Mm -hmm. we got to do something with it. It's not just going to magically leave the site and go away, you know? And what I've found is generally toughest part of this is not getting it out of the ground. It's getting it back into the ground or getting rid of it once it's out. Right. You know, what are some of the typical obstacles we face when, uh, you know, once the water's out of the ground? Uh, man, that, that there's, there's quite a few. Um, I think the biggest obstacle right off the bat is just the site that you're dealing with and, and how large it is. Um, you know, more often than not, especially where we do a lot of our work in these type of projects out east <clears throat> in the Hamptons where people will buy a small piece of land and want to build a larger house mm-hmm. on it. Um, that kind of dwindles our options in regards to where we can put this water. In the past, we've been lucky enough to have a large site where we just dig a giant retention pond and put tarps on it. And it's nice <laughs> sandy bottom. And we pump water directly into that. And then it can go right back into the, into the water table from there. Um, the next option is what we, what you guys have designed here is the, uh, is the diffusion wells. So we put it through a filtration system system and then back down into the aquifer. Um, and then with that raises a whole different amount of issues with how much water they can accept. And, um, you know, with the water quality, you know, oh, how yeah. much iron is in 100%. it, you know, how, how the fil- filters react with the amount of iron. And at certain times of year, the algae that gets into it and, and underlying formation. Yeah, exactly. You know, the list goes on. Oh, it's again very interesting. And, and my experience is it's a lot easier to get the water out of the ground than it is back into it. Absolutely. Know? That's what people need to, I think, have a better understanding of. It's not, you know, a one to one exchange at times. For whatever reason, it's it's always more difficult to get get it to recharge as quickly as as you're pulling it out. So oftentimes, if we've got a certain amount of screen to pull it out, we need a lot more screen to get it back in. Or as you pointed out, we need a great big recharge basin. You know, that's going to yep. take up you know a half an acre or an acre of someone's property while we're, while we're building this. Um, and that leads me to my next question here: is when we design these things, we build these things. What kind of permitting obstacles are in the way or regulatory issues are we facing? Maybe, Regina, you can uh, lead us in that discussion. Uh, generally, in uh, Region 1, Long Island, uh, the DEC regulates water withdrawal. Um, in this case, if you're using well points, then you need to get a Long Island well permit. Um, so that's just a process of uh, filling out some forms, um, the EAF, a joint application form, Long Island well permit application, watering and a design. Um, and then that gets submitted to the DEC. The DEC reviews it generally has some comments, goes back and forth, and then eventually, um, hopefully, they would issue a permit um, for, for most of my <laughs> <Hopefully>, projects. Huh? <laughs> most of my projects, we, we've had permits issued. So um, uh, they, the DEC is the one that regulates that type of project. 
what are the things that they look for typically? Um, so in de with dewatering, when you're doing like a dewatering in a residential area or an area that um, it's densely populated homes, businesses around there, I think they're primarily concerned um, with what you're doing, where you're going to put the water back in mm -hmm. to the aquifer, and if that is going to affect neighboring basements, tops of slabs. Mm -hmm. um, so their their review, um, I think, is focused. I mean, they're looking at a, a larger picture, but one of the main things that I think that they are looking at is whether or not <laughs> you're going to raise the table so that you could flood out somebody's basement or somebody's house. Gotcha. Um, so that can be um, a difficult thing to present to them because what you have to do is you have to go take a look at the area, figure out what houses are kind of in the radius of influence of your pumping, and then figure out who's, you know, who has a basement, what right. their elevation is, and then present all of that information to the DC. And that information is not always easy. Available. Of course, yeah. To know whether the neighbor has a theater in their basement. And sometimes or they don't want you space. coming in their house to yeah. find out mm -hmm. what my basement elevation is. And, and part of the thing you should mention, Regina, is that two foot rule. Right? Yes. So yeah. If we're within two feet already, that guy's top a slab of the neighbor, and we're going to be putting water back into the ground and maybe potential rate potentially raise that water table a little bit. We are not allowed to come within two feet of right. a neighboring slab. Okay. Right. So and so if you're already within two feet can't even raise the water table at all. You have to demonstrate that you're not affecting it at all. So let's say their slab is at elevation three and groundwater is at elevation one where that's it. That's it. That's it. There, you yeah. can't, if we are dewatering and we drop it, the DEC yeah. is fine with that. But if where we're putting it back in starts to, as Regina said, has this influence, it creates a mound. Yep. If we come within, we raise it even a hundredth of a foot, they're not going to allow it. Right. Uh, and that's all done with the, the modeling which is submitted to the DEC, which of course is theoretical, right? We don't know exactly what the ground is looking like. You are yeah. correct. I mean, we, we do the best we can when we create these like 3D numerical groundwater models right. um, to estimate and analyze. Uh, but again, it is theoretical. And as you know, when you, you start digging in the ground, the, the geology can change oftentimes very rapidly from one area to another. And that can have significant effects on the way our, our model reacts. And when we design a model, it's based on average conditions for the area. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only way we can do it. We're not going to be out there uh, identifying um, every single soil property of every single, you know, square foot of every single site. It's just, it's impractical and it's, if not impossible. Yeah. And um, still be out there just taking soil samples. Oh my gosh. And yeah. boring reports. Yeah. Yeah. We're and, really relying heavily on like USGS documents. That's right. And, right. Uh, and oftentimes we don't even have the luxury of doing pumping tests to see how the aquifer is really responding until we go in and start the dewatering. So again, as you said, it's, it's a lot of it is just theoretical analysis. Um, but right. the DEC is, is, is very open to that, or they have been, uh, which we appreciate, and they're very understanding of it too. So um, it, it, they do have to sort of take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And you know, in reality, if things are different, they make us put in monitoring wells, correct? Correct. So that way we watch the water levels. Um, once you guys start dewatering, we've got these, these wells out there we're supposed to record water levels, uh, I don't know, periodically, daily, or whatever it is, whatever the permit stipulates, to make sure the water table's not going up, or if it's going down, it is going down. Right. Right? Yes. Yep. You have to um, take measurements, I think, every day um, in those permits. Ah, good stuff. 
Um, so are there any other permitting issues or obstacles that besides like the, the DECs? Well, let me, let me just backtrack. You know, I, I know that specifically with the site we're working on together out in East Hampton, um, you know, there are alternate places we can discharge water to, right? Yes. Um, and it's even been potentially potentially yeah. and it's been suggested recommended to look at that by some agencies uh, and it could be a, a nearby surface water body yep right uh, but that also comes with its own set of issues you guys care to share what those issues might be or how how are we uh you know trying to face this challenge and maybe potentially get the opportunity to sort of use a, a surface water body as maybe a, an additional discharge point or relief point when our wells need to be maintained. Well, that's the easiest way to get rid of the watered water would be to go to a body of water, really. Um, and uh, you don't face the ch same challenges as trying to get them down into diffusion wells, um, whether or not the diffusion wells are going to operate or the aquifer is going to accept the water. Yeah, it's just like we were saying, it's, it's tougher to get it exactly. back in. But if there's like an infinite water body to discharge you to. You can just keep right. discharging. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, um, that is re normally regulated, I think, in a dewatering application by the DEC, but some towns also have their own requirements. Yeah. Um, and so for this particular site in East Hampton, we need to get a, an, another approval from the town to be able to discharge water. Um, and that uh, we haven't had to do that in the past. We've been able to manage our water on site generally mm -hmm. um but for this particular project it is challenging it's in a challenging location it has oh, like yeah. the, the geology of the site is challenging the groundwater itself well, it's, um, it's almost like a peninsula too you got water exactly. bodies on like two sides of the where it's positioned so it's as i said shallow water table doesn't begin to describe this <laughs> yeah yep. exactly so um so we are in the process for this particular site of trying to get a Approval to temporarily discharge if needed when the diffusion wells aren't operating um, as expected, or if we need to rehab the diffusion wells to the surface water. Well, I mean, from my involvement, and I understand one of the issues that we need to overcome with the surface water discharge is water quality. Right. Right. Kyle, you want to let us know a little bit of what people are concerned about with when we discharge groundwater to a surface water body? So I, I think with. Um this case in particular, the DEC is is used to having a dewatering project, whether it be a, a very small scale, like a coffer dam or something like that, where you're going to build a bridge abutment or a boat ramp or something, where you'll get a DEC dewatering permit, you put a six inch submersible in, you have that running 24 seven, you put it through a sediment filter, whatever that be, Recast ring or a yeah. tank, and you pump it directly right to a creek out, or whatever it is. Steel sheeting yeah. that you're pumping from, you know, so it's water out, water right back in, and, and there you go. Um, this situation is is much different because, like Regina had mentioned, uh, the body of water is the responsibility of the town, um, and especially being such a high profile body of water out there, um, their concern is the condition. Of that body of water yeah um whether the level of it where that's going to be how that's going to affect the quality of the water whether the algae blooms um the shellfish that's in there just to try and maintain the health of that pond so what we're up against now is really the unknown we're, we're probably the first ones that have come to them with 
possibility of dewatering into this body of water. So their biggest concerns are the levels, how high it's going to be, it, what will be affected if we pump that amount of water into it. So you're talking about the water level within the pond is Correct. a concern. Sorry, yes. Um, and how that's going to be affected by pumping 650, 700 gallons per minute into it. Um, and then the next one being the water quality. Yeah. You know, so um, they took the water quality samples from the pond itself. And then, of course, the water quality from uh, from the frack tank that we're pumping into now. Or dewatering effluent, if you will. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and to see if they match up and how close they are and how it would be affected if we were to be pumping that water with that water quality type into the pond. So, and Regina can probably speak more to it than I can. Um, when we got into dewatering, it kind of happened organically because we were able to drive steel and drive piles and had to do coffer dams. what I've always known you guys to be really good at. Yeah, so uh, so what we're doing in the in the world of construction is, you know, we've gotten bigger in scale and it's been great. Um, but when it comes down to, uh, I don't know, we talked about it yesterday, chlorophyll or uh, coliforms. coliforms, you know, it's like so outside of the realm of what's been in my head is now I need to focus on what can cause an algae bloom or yeah. coliforms or, or nutrients or microorganisms, yeah. things you guys don't normally worry about, right? Totally. <laughs> and all the stuff in here, I am like trying to read through it on emails to, to make a point as to why we can bump into this pond. So it's, it's, um. It's been an experience, a learning experience for sure, but it's it's also exciting, you know. So yeah, as far as water quality, Regina, which what are some of the, you know when we discharge to a surface water body, what are some of the major concerns? Which contaminants or, or parameters are, or, or say the DEC or, or the town most concerned about? Uh, so for this particular location, it would be nitrates, um, phosphorus, fecal coliform. Mm -hmm. um, was on the list. Um, I think that, I don't know if I'm uh, no, that's, I, I think I, that I, covers I, it. I think you got but it. I think they're, they're, they're primarily concerned with the, the level of nitrogen. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's a major nutrient. Right. And um, that's what leads to algae blooms and affects the shellfish. And so the town has been doing it, um, such a great job of making sure that the water quality in this particular body of water has been improving over the years that they are concerned that if they're um, if, if we were to pump water in that's a, a higher concentration of nitrogen than what's in the pond, that that could affect the pond's quality. Yeah. Um, so that's what they're primarily concerned about at this location. Um, we do do dewatering for remedial projects as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's a whole a whole nother list of parameters that's, that the oh, is going to oh be boy. looking at. Yes, and that stuff, so when you're doing stuff like that, once you take it out of the ground, it's got to be real clean before it goes back in, as you well know. Right, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just spreading contamination around, and that's absolutely something we do not want to do. Exactly. So, I mean, in, in those cases, when we're doing the, those types of projects, we do have a, a whole, you know, depending on what you're treating, if you're going to put in a groundwater treatment system, and generally the DEC will require some baseline samples or, uh, you know, samples from the system oh, yeah. before you discharge to make sure that they're Effluent hitting the, samples. Yeah, mm. meeting the discharge criteria. And the rate at which you dewater that water to then be treated before it goes back to wherever you're putting it 
has to be a much lower rate than you know what we're doing here where we're pumping uh, oftentimes they are right? yeah much smaller yeah. it's just it's tough <laughs> right imagine the amount of filtration that you would need for uh there it's not even like the filtration we, this is actually like treatment processes we've got to right. physically physically chemically maybe sometimes even biologically remove these contaminants you know wow. using air strippers or carbon filters you know all different types of technology which then leads me to believe something we were touching on a little bit earlier uh, geology you know the aquifer properties themselves you know when we do a geotechnical investigation or before we go out and we start decide to dewater what do we look for What's, what's important to know up front before we design and install a, a dewatering system? Uh, first is the groundwater elevation, oh, yeah. which we've already talked about. Yep. Um, and then um, you want to kind of figure out what kind of soil quality there is. So if it's sandy soil, you know you're going to get a really higher, a higher pumping rate uh, coming out of the ground than, say, if you have like a clay or a very silty material, mm -hmm. slow down the flow rate. Um, so all those things kind of those are that's what you want to consider. That's really those are the two main things I think when it comes to figuring out what your flow rate is: is the soil conditions and uh, and the groundwater. And then the soil conditions, if you're doing diffusion wells back into the ground or even a recharge basin, um, that's going to affect how fast you can put the water back in the ground as well. Hundred percent. Yep. We've been there the hard way. <laughs> yeah. We definitely pray for sand. <laughs> <laughs> it sure does. It yeah. sure does. Um, so if you, let's just say, you know, somebody does want dewater and, and the situation isn't ideal to, ge geologically or hydrogeologically, what do you do? I mean, you tell them, no, <laughs> this isn't going to work. I, I just, there's no place to put the water. I can't get it back into the ground. I mean, is, has there ever been a, a situation where we had to tell a client or an owner, it just, it's not going to work out, but you have to maybe raise your, your footprint or your building, or maybe you can't have that theater or that basement that you, you really desire. We haven't uh, encountered, we've, we've gotten pretty creative about ways that we can deal with the water on site. So we haven't had to tell a client, no, you can't put your basement in or no, you can't have your entertainment uh, room in that building. Um, and hopefully we can continue to find creative ways to deal with yeah. the water and, and you know, taking it out of the ground, but especially putting it back in. Um, so I haven't been in that situation yet. I hope I don't have to. <laughs> well, and if you are, that it's very much so on the front end. Or, or yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you just and, and have to add eight inches to that foundation and you'll be okay. Right, before exactly. they spend any money. Right. How about a 60-inch TV instead of that 70-inch <laughs> TV? It will get you just right. Uh, well, so. it's amazing how much eight inches does make a difference um, as far as volume goes. I mean, it, Think about oh, in terms inches, of yeah, in like, terms of GPM, know, we have to pump right. absolutely. Yeah. But when yeah. you're looking People at it, don't understand that either. Yeah, a large area. I mean, has got a you know a couple thousand square foot uh, building footprint. You know, we got to dewater the whole site eight inches. It's still a lot of water. We got to move for a, yeah. quite a while. Yep. I mean, to think about six hundred gallons per minute is incredibly impressive. You know, and we've done ones where we go right into the recharge basin where we're not uh, uh, restricted by what we can put into diffusion wells that we're Going to 1,500, 1,200 gallons per minute. So those are some big systems. Yeah, it's an impressive amount of water that that's moving just from the ground. You know, and it's and it's a closed system, so you don't even see it coming in or, or coming out or going in. Well, it's. Um, I mean, it really is amazing that you can operate a system like this and draw down the water. You know, in almost like a bathtub that you're in. Yep. You know, 
opposite of a bathtub, I guess, um, and do your construction in there for, you know, five months. Yeah. And then you turn it off and the water comes up and it's not even, you know, the basement isn't effective. It's yes. waterproof. It's, that's it. I mean, we're, we're going against nature, you know. Oh, there's we're, no doubt about it. We are 100% working against nature. And, and I think any time that you do that, there's always going to be challenges and unforeseen things um, after you get into it. And you can do as much downfield blocking as you want, but there's always going to need to be those decisions to be made on the fly and, and to understand. Well, this, this is leading into my next um, question. You know, it's, it's environmental impacts. You know, we've talked about some like water levels in a pond or underneath somebody's house. We talked about some of the water quality. But another one that I, I know we face sometimes with regards to water levels is, um, and we've had this on a couple of sites, and maybe you haven't been involved specifically, Kyle, but um, there may be a wetlands nearby, and somebody wants to start dewatering. And if we start to affect that wetlands, there's we've had the eastern tiger salamander issues. Um, we've got to be very careful. You know, they have a very s specific uh, breeding habitat zone. You know, you, you can't dewater that. Um, Regina, you care to comment on any other environmental impacts that we face while, you know, that we have to mitigate while we do some sort of dewatering, even though it's temporary? Um, yeah, so the wetlands and the, the salamanders is one. Uh, another one that I, uh, uh, I guess, is um, we just recently did a Long Island well permit application for a project out east again, um, and they had some uh, contamination um, issues or, you know, Hundred percent, um, and we, you know, submitted our application to the DEC. We I, we addressed most, I think, all of their comments, what they were looking for, and um, for Long Island well permit uh, for some irrigation wells. Um, and they came back and they denied the permit actually because their uh, contamination at the mm. site was a little uh, it was too much for them to tolerate. So um, that one has not been resolved. Um, yeah, but and that was groundwater. <clears throat> excuse me, that was that was tested beforehand and then submitted with all of the models. Correct. Yeah, so it was it was uh, groundwater used for irrigation. Okay. Um, and so. Oh, I know the site well. <laughs> yeah. So and and I apologize for cutting you off, but so then they see that and they're like, okay, you cannot pull this water out because it's contaminated. We'd want it to stay there. Yes. And the, if you the, do pull it out, then I think the be concern is that they would be since it was um, an irrigation system, they would spreading whatever that contamination was across yeah, the Yeah, they, they were concerned about right, affecting the, the local yeah. hydraulics. There's an ongoing investigation. Yep. It could have screwed things up. Um, another environmental impact, and this could affect sites that are close to the shore when we dewater, is saltwater intrusion. Mm -hmm. All right, what people don't understand is when we start pulling water out, say down by the bay or down by the ocean or maybe the Long Island Sound or something to, to get a foundation in, if we're right on the beach, you know, even like on maybe the, the north side of the South Fork on the Peconic Bay or something, uh, you can start to induce, you know, saltwater to migrate inland, you know, and that can become a real concern too, especially if there's a local water supplier or people have irrigation wells or they're on their own private wells, you know, I mean, any issues you've, you've had to overcome with that, Regina? Um. That's okay. I mean, it's, this is something I get to, I get to, I get involved quite a bit with, uh, with the saltwater intrusion, you know, and, yeah, and again, we, that's another, you know, something that maybe we didn't consider at this site in East Hampton. It's, you know, it's sort of on a brackish pond yeah. and everything else. And that, but, yeah. that water is brackish. Actually, the, the driller was out there yesterday and I saw him 
have a little taste of it. Oh, is that, boy. Is that salty? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we tell our folks never to do, don't drink the water or eat the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That, that's what you get when you have an old school guy. Oh, I, and I love that guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> I hope he's listening. <laughs> yeah, but but saltwater intrusion can also be a, an issue that uh, you've had to deal with. And uh, again, not so much on a dewatering project, but it, it, it very well could be. Uh, and actually, we have. We've had yeah, a, a couple of them in Sagaponic and a few mm -hmm. places down by the beach where, uh, say, the village engineer was really concerned if we start pulling a couple hundred gallons of minute out of the ground and moving things around, we may start to induce that saltwater flow inland. And again, irrigation wells, private wells, water supply, a whole bunch of headaches that we had to demonstrate that that was not going to happen, yeah. not be the case. Um, again, we can't drink salty water as you just, well, <laughs> some of us can't <laughs> or shouldn't. Those nice luscious lawns out there don't like the of salt water that's right. out there, I'm sure. That's right. And, and we've yeah. also, as Regina pointed out, we've got golf course clients that are down by, say, the bays and the oceans and everything else. And uh, we've got to be very careful when you start pumping water that you don't induce that, as you just pointed out. Right. Uh, number one, it'll really screw up the golf course or the lawn. Uh, but number two, and more importantly, is it's, you know, this is our sole source of drinking water. We've got to treat this like it's made of gold, you know, like it's made of glass. We don't want to break it. Right. Absolutely. All right. Um, so to start to wrap things up a little bit, uh, any new technologies out there related to dewatering that we could look forward to into the future? I mean, it's, you, you did, did a good job of describing how we do sheeting and coffer dams and, and the well points or deep wells and, and all that fun stuff. But what else? Is there anything on the horizon that may be a game changer, so to speak, make things easier for us? I've, I've worked with some contractors who've come up with, um, pretty, creative ways to avoid having to get a Long Island well permit, um, but it's still, you know, able to dewater the site enough so that they can facilitate construction. Um, with that said, though, if you're withdrawing more than 100,000 gallons per day, even without well points, you are going to need a water withdrawal permit. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's walking a fine line, I think, for some people trying to be creative and yeah, um, on our end, this project in particular, I think this is the fourth dewatering, large-scale dewatering project that I've worked on. Um, and this is by far the one that I've been most intimately involved in. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, Kyle. Oh, it's and, definitely a great thing. All right. and, and we're, we're, glad to have, we're glad to have the opportunity to work with you on it, yeah. for sure. And as challenging as it is, um, as I mentioned before, it is exciting, you know, because there's, there's a lot to learn that goes along with it. Um, and we do, as I mentioned, like coffer dam dewatering, a lot of very small oh, scale yeah. stuff for just, you know, a week long construction, uh, critical path stuff that we need to get done, whether it be boat ramp or you know, bridge abutment, whatever it may be. And from learning what we're doing here, I can put in a lot of what we're doing here and make it more efficient on the smaller scale stuff, which has been great for me. I know it's not new technologies in the future per se on this end, but it's helped me a lot open my mind to what's possible and what can be more efficient on the smaller scale stuff. But it's also opened up my research into how other people do it, you know, and, and maybe not particularly out here in the East end, but how they deep water for large private residences on, um, you know, a river in Colorado, Oh yeah, you know, and, and how they can utilize electric pumps instead of diesel pumps. Um, which 
with the trend of, of everything in the world today. Um, Electrification, like your car. Exactly. Could um, definitely be something that we could be moving towards in the future. You know, So try and pivot and go on that end and then just see what's more efficient and more effective for us to not have to send out someone every day to change oil on a pump or, or um, you know, monitor these wells yeah. by, by the, in, in sure person. they don't run out of diesel, you know, <laughs> yeah. totally, totally. Um, so it's opened my mind to do more research. I don't understand the trends so much right now, just because we're in it. You know what I mean? We're like trying to focus on this one. Um, but there definitely will, this will definitely allow me to open my mind up more and see what else is out there. Cool. Yeah. The next one. I'd love to see stuff, maybe like horizontal wells under a site, you know, it's directional drilling, something like that work or, you know, just fascinated if, if something like that has potential. That'd be a nice project to work on. I don't think we've had an opportunity. No, I just think of the applications, but who knows? You guys have any closing remarks you want to add before we uh, wrap up for the day? Um, no, I mean, I'd, I think just to, to go over the, the top here, it's, it's been a pleasure working with you guys. Um, and I appreciate you having me on today. Ah, we're glad you could join us. And it's, again, it's been a pleasure to work with you and Chesterfield over the years. You guys are a top-notch professional firm and uh, you always do good work. You've never left us hanging. So I appreciate that. That, that. means a lot. Uh, again, I want to thank our guest, Regina Bykov, our senior project manager at PWGC, and Kyle Allen, a project manager at Chesterfield Associates. Again, I'm Paul Boyce, the host of the Environmental Echo of PWGC. If there are any questions or if our listeners or watchers, subscribers, I want to reach out to us in any way. Uh, best way to get a hold of us is at our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And I just want to thank everyone today to, to listening to our uh, dewatering show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Paul. <laughs>